The story of King Saul is a little known yet important tale for our time. Here we have a great man, fully capable of doing wonderful things, yet one who lets his ego and insecurity get the best of him. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and we're going to dig into the story of Saul on this episode of Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. To understand the story of Saul, we must first look at the state of the Israelites prior to his rise. Internally, they faced many challenges. The 12 tribes were not a unified nation. Their leader, the great prophet and judge Samuel, was growing old, and his sons were corrupt. Externally, they confronted many enemies, especially the Philistines, who lived along the southern Mediterranean coast and had recently captured the Ark of the Covenant. While the Israelites were able to recover the Ark, the Philistine danger remained. They were a powerful people, probably from the island of Crete. They were not a Semitic people, and they had close connections to the Minoan and Mycenaean Greeks. To respond to these challenges, the Israelites went to Samuel and demanded that God give them a king. We read this story in 1 Samuel, beginning with chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. It's worth it to read these verses closely. All the elders of Israel assembled and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You have grown old, and your sons have not followed your ways. Therefore, appoint a king for us, to govern us like all other nations. Samuel was displeased that they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Eternal, and the Eternal replied to Samuel, Heed the command of the people and everything that they say to you, for it is not you that they have rejected, it is me that they have rejected as their king. Samuel, as we can understand, was none too pleased when he heard the Israelites' plea. God, though, was quite the diplomat. God took the blame for the decision, telling Samuel that the people were rejecting God, not God's prophet. Yet Samuel still resented this request. He felt that it was a repudiation of his entire career. Samuel's mother had dedicated him to God even before birth. He knew nothing but divine service, and he had been a great leader of the people. Certainly Samuel did not want to be regarded merely as a transitional figure, straddling the ears of the judges and the kings. Samuel, though, went on to inform the Israelites of what a king would do and what he would require of the people. A king would tax the people, conscript their sons into his army, and even take their slaves. And the day would come, he said, that because of these hardships, the people would cry out to God. But God would not listen. Nevertheless, the people demanded a king, and God told Samuel to go out and find one. In chapter 9, we finally meet Saul. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, described as a wealthy and handsome young man. While looking for a lost donkey in a story reminiscent of Moses and the burning bush, Saul goes to ask Samuel for help in finding the animal. Of course, the book tells us that God had already appeared to Samuel, telling him that a Benjaminite would seek him out and that he would be the one to be anointed king. You can guess what comes next. Samuel sees God, realizes he is the blessed Benjaminite, 
and anoints him king. And Samuel also tells him that the donkeys had already been found. If we take a step back from these stories, we can tease out two competing themes. One is anti-monarchical, where Samuel warns the people of the dangers of a king. The second story is the donkey story, where God appears to Samuel and tells him to appoint a Benjaminite as king. We can call this story the pro-monarchical one, and they are side by side, even intertwined in the text. The anti-monarchical text returns in chapter 10, verse 17. In this version of the story, Samuel assembles the entire people, ostensibly all 12 tribes, and winnows the people down to the tribe of Benjamin. Still, he doesn't find a suitable candidate for king, but then is told that Saul is hiding amongst the luggage. Realizing that Saul is a head taller than anyone else, he anoints the tall one as king. The story of Saul, though, teaches us at least one thing. Do not choose a king based on height. Also, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. In chapter 11, Saul leads the people in battle against the Ammonites. The Ammonites were utterly defeated. Saul proved himself a master tactician in leading the Israelite army. But at the end of the chapter, Samuel brings the people to Gilgal and proclaims Saul king. And yes, this is part of the pro-monarchical strand. Chapter 12 returns us to the anti-monarchy theme. Samuel is about to die and, of course, gives a long and impassioned speech to the Israelites, even though he doesn't die until David rules the people. But interestingly, Samuel says something that sets an Israelite king apart from all of the kings that they had known. The people are still subject to worshiping God. If they and the king follow in God's ways, they will be secure. If not, they will be destroyed. The king, as we now learn, does not possess ultimate power. God does. This is a rebuke of the so-called divine right of kings, many of whom in that day, and even in ours, considered themselves equal to the gods. Saul wins many battles against Ammonites and others, but his greatest victory perhaps came against the Amalekites, Israel's sworn enemy. We remember the Amalekites from Exodus, when Joshua defeated them in the first battle that the Israelites fought after leaving Egypt. In both Exodus and Deuteronomy, God instructs the Israelites to eradicate the Amalekites. They are to suffer utter destruction. Their memory is to be erased from history. Saul destroyed the Amalekite army as recounted in chapter 15. It was a total victory, but against Samuel's explicit order, Saul spared the Amalekite livestock and, importantly, also spared the Amalekite king. When Samuel learned that King Agag was spared, he became enraged. Saul had not only disobeyed his order, but Saul also went against God's will. While we can debate the morality of this proscription, it was a direct divine order. Samuel then hacked the Amalekite king to pieces. He also took the crown away from Saul. And while Samuel grieved over this, God again took the blame and sent Samuel to find a new king, this time to find a young boy, the son of Jesse of the tribe of Judah, who lived in Bethlehem. Of course, God is directing Samuel to find and anoint David as king.
We will discuss David in great detail in our next podcast. But in relation to Saul, we will look at their relationship after the break. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Before we return to our discussion of Saul, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to review and rate this episode on Apple, Spotify, or whatever service you are using. Also, please go back and listen to previous episodes if you have not already done so. A transcript is also available on our website, www.torahforchristians.net, and also on, on Buzzsprout. If you would like to read my weekly Torah study, please go to Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School, available for free on www.substack.com or through our website. I've also started another Substack page called Wednesday Torah, where I occasionally share random thoughts on the Jewish experience. Please subscribe to both. I mentioned at the start of the podcast that Saul was the first king of Israel, but he was also mentally ill. Much of his growing insanity was due to David's charisma and popularity. The first time that we see David, he battles Goliath, the Philistine giant from Gath. In stunning fashion, he defeats Goliath, establishing himself as Saul's chief rival. Saul, however, took David into his home, where he served as a servant to the king, often playing his lute to calm Saul's increasingly fragile ego. This belies the phrase, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Tellingly, David establishes a close relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. Certainly, there is great love between them. But the question has often been asked if David and Jonathan were male lovers. I think that this is more our interpolation rather than what the text tells us. We are familiar with homosexual relationships. In our day, they are common. And so we naturally place our experiences onto an ancient text. This is something that we should avoid. This type of relationship and the language that the Bible uses in describing the relationship was quite common at the time. Certainly, they had a close, even a loving relationship. But were they lovers? I doubt it. I think this is just the way the Bible talks. We need to read the Bible as a document for its time and not in light of our time. Their zeitgeist was different. As David became more popular, Saul became jealous, even to the point of attempting to kill David multiple times. With the help of Jonathan, David escaped Saul's murderous rage. But when Saul and Jonathan both died in battle, David was inconsolable. In 2 Samuel 1.19, David laments how the mighty have fallen. David rises to king, not just because Samuel had chosen him, but also because Saul died in battle. Saul led both a charmed and tragic life. Charmed in the sense that he became the first king of Israel. Tragic because he spared the Amalekite king Agag, Haman's ancestor, and so lost his kingdom. Actions, and the lack of them, have consequences. Yet there is one more lesson to learn from the story of Saul. 
We learn here that our leaders are not perfect. They're human beings, subject to God's rule just like us. Sal should teach us that we must treat mental illness the same as we treat physical illness, with care and compassion. We have already seen imperfections in our biblical heroes. Isaac went blind, Jacob walked with a limp, Moses was a stutterer, and as we will see, David was quite the womanizer. Sal then fits the description of a Jewish hero, imperfect, flawed, yet able to overcome his disabilities. That may be the most important lesson that we take from the story of Saul. Next week, we will talk about the great King David, the founder of the kingdom of Judah and the progenitor of the ultimate Messiah. We will see his glory, his shortcomings, and the covenant that God cut with David, unique in world history that has had manifold manifestations for millennia. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please be sure to check out our website, www.torahforchristians.net, for a full list of podcast episodes. I'm sure that you will enjoy listening to all of them. In addition, you can subscribe to my Substack columns, Wednesday Torah and Bible Stories They Never Taught You in Religious School. I'm sure that you will enjoy all of these offerings. Have a wonderful week, and remember, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for us to live together as one. Till we meet again, I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians.